0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode we're welcoming back Frank West, owner of the City of Games, publisher behind the wildly popular game franchise The Isle of Cats, which has raised over $2 million on Kickstarter and prior campaigns, their current expansion, Don't Forget the Kittens, has a week left in his campaign, has already raised over $1.3 million. Frank, welcome back to The bench. How you doing?
1: Yeah, no, I'm great. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be back on the show and having a chance to chat with you. Oh, it is awesome
0: to have you back, man. Uh, congrats. <laughs> congrats. <laughs> Holy smokes. We're going to get into it because there is a lot to unpack with this campaign, like a lot. And uh, I think when people understand how many people are working on this full time and a little hint, not many. Uh, (laughs) I think they're going to be blown away by the content that you've cranked out here in such a short time. Uh, For those who want to learn more about uh, Frank's backstory, we're going to talk a little bit about it on this podcast, but if Mm -hmm. you want kind of the deep dive, I encourage you to go back to episode 69 of the podcast. That's when we talked to Frank last Uh, check it out on YouTube, or if you go to boardgamebinge.com or website, Scroll down to episode 69 and you're going to find it. All right, Frank, before we get into this kind of cat extravaganza, (laughs) give us a quick overview of kind of who you are for people who don't know, um, kind of where your company came from, kind of what you did before you got into kind of the whole gaming industry.
1: Yeah, as you say, um, I'll do it kind of fairly brief because we went in a bit more detail last time. So, I'm from the UK, and I kind of started doing board game design about five or six years ago. My first Kickstarter was four years ago, the first game released three years ago, but it's really something that I've always been into games. You know, as a young kid, I played lots of different games, kind of more of the older classics, things like Cluedo, Monopoly, and then I got into Magic the Gathering, and then I got into a few more modern games, but lots and lots of video games, and I became a real hardcore kind of video gamer for many, many years. and then. To say, like, you know, 10 years ago now or so, I just suddenly started transitioning into board games and playing modern board games more and more and more. And, you know, like many people got completely hooked on them and realized that all of that passion I had for designing and creating video games was something I could start looking at into the board game world. And say like five, six years ago, I kind of thought, this is it. I'm going to sit down and make that first big game. And it kind of went from there. And, you know, it's been a crazy few years to say the least.
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
1: So you've had, um, you know, a
0: few smaller games that you did before uh, Isle of Cats. And you you clearly hit your stride uh, with the Isle of Cats campaign. Uh, it was hugely successful. I think in Canadian dollars, it was something close to like I think it was $600,000. It had, uh, I think, 8,000 plus backers. And you know, it it's um, the game itself is a polyomino game. Can you explain mm. kind of what that is for people that don't understand what that is?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of polyominoes are basically shapes that are made up of mm. multiple squares of the same size. So if you've got, you know, a domino is two squares of the same size joined together, and as you kind of grow in different shapes, you've got three or four squares like joined together, forming different shapes. And you might be familiar with games like Tetris that have these kind of pieces in them. And you know, in these games, generally you're placing these tiles onto boards trying to achieve different things in the isle of cats you're trying to get certain colors or different cats together you're trying to fill certain areas and trying to work towards completing different lessons goals objectives that you've kind of been set throughout the game
0: fair enough and then when you did the isle of cats and uh for you can't see it but the people at home are going to be able to (laughs) see this um, can you just explain a little bit about this kind of story that you've created without even mm-hmm. getting into kind of the mechanics of the game is the story itself of kind of the Isle of Cats. Where'd that come from?
1: So, yeah. So all of my games are from the same universe and um, my first game, The City of Kings. And it's funny because you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, kind of those smaller games that came before The Isle of Cats. and it's Still successful. <laughs> <laughs> like life is very strange yeah. with how it changes, right? Because if you go back to two years ago, I would have said the City of Kings was hugely successful, and it, and it was. You know, it had yeah. like tens of thousands of people like buy the game, and it did really, really well. And that was set in a fantasy world that I've kind of been building in my head for for much longer than I've been playing board games. And then my next game, and Gardens, was kind of set in that world. And I like the idea of all my games being set in the same universe. And, you know, some of them more linked than others. Like you don't need to have played the other games. You don't need to be familiar with those other games. But if you are, you'll see crossovers. So for example, in the new expansion that's just come out, the one on Kickstarter at the moment, there's the beasts. And actually five of the beasts out of the 18 in the game are creatures that are from the city of kings so if you've played that first game you'll be very Mm. familiar with these creatures but equally if you haven't it doesn't matter right they're just going to be new creatures that you've not seen before so for me the story and the narrative is just continuing to look at different points in this world and they aren't the same points in time you know there's a good 10 15 years difference with these games Mm. and some of the other games i'm working on are you know a thousand years before and a thousand years later so it's just an interesting like universe for me to design within, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I do want to downplay your prior games. I mean, oh, no, no, no doubt the success you had. I,
1: mean... I, I think for the Isle of Cats, for me
0: at least, and I, and I think people would probably echo this sentiment, is that it's become part of um, the lexicon of of, mm-hmm. of board gaming, right? Like people, I think know Isle of Cats. I mean, we've got yeah. now Jamie Stegmeier doing reviews, mm-hmm. so we got a like a, one of the world's top independent publishers doing a review on your
1: game yeah, about how sure. much you love um, yeah. it right <laughs> it's just entered the top 100 on Board Game geek right yeah. so it kind of it puts it into a completely different level of game there's yeah. there's very few games that get to that level of visibility and that many people playing it that it makes it a really magical thing and you know i even before this new kickstarter i'm kind of like just blown away by how well it has done you know you always hope but you never expect to kind of hit that kind of mark
0: yeah and that's i mean it's 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 humble of you because i know we when we talked last time you mentioned that as well that you know and i think most game designers at least i think the ones that are Mm self-aware um know that there's always that risk right they know that you're gonna put it you know everything in the kitchen sink is going to go into developing this and and you're going to put all the pieces in play right on the, mm-hmm. on the board, so to speak of how to do a proper Kickstarter campaign. And I mean, we're going to go through your campaign in a second. I mean, you're ticking the boxes you've hit pretty much all of them, but there's still always that chance
1: mm-hmm. that
0: it's just not going to resonate with people. Right. And it's not necessarily the game or the story or the person could be timing, you know, it could yep. be other world events could be other things that people are focusing on the next shiny object they're focusing on. So, um, but I think it is a testament to the, the amount of work you've put into this game to, to see the success that you've had with it and see your success stepping, uh, kind of going up with each successive campaign, which I think is important. Did Isle of cat, like this whole universe you created, did it start like with short stories for you at all? Like, did you, did you ever sit down and kind of map out or did it kind of start with the game, the theme, and then you're like, okay, how can I kind of expand the theme? Like, wh- how did that kind of work out?
1: I mean, the world as a whole just started as kind of I used to, I, I mean, I don't really know when it started. I used to play around with so many like video game concepts where there just yeah. needed to be something. And when I started the City of Kings was when I really started thinking about bringing a lot of those pieces together. And obviously a lot of the stuff that was brought together was brought together based on the needs of the game. But mm-hmm. like for the Art of Cats, for example, it's funny because that really was a game that was designed where the theme and the mechanisms kind of, came in harmony together and it wasn't like five years ago i sat down and went hey there's going to be an island full of cats on this kind of this planet you know where all these people are from but it does fit within that narrative within its own way. And it was something that kind of, you know, you could sit down and go, well, I want it to be out rescuing cats. You know, I could be having a crazy old person who's in a house, who's got thousands of cats, and they're going to an adoption center, rescuing cats and bringing them back to their house. And mechanically, the game would be the same. But thematically, for me, that wasn't the story. I, I like being able to kind of not drill positivity into people but to have it there in the background you know and if you strip Mm -hmm. off the layers of the isle of cats the narrative is there's this big evil that's destroying the planet and we're trying to save animals and save the world and look after and protect that planet from this evilness right and yeah you can wrap that up and say well it's fancy cats like it's this evil villain and none of that's real but there's an essence of things that are going on in the world and just trying to set that nice positive message in the background without having to scream and shout about it. And to me, that's quite an important kind of nice touch that the game does.
0: That's fair and well put. Um, So when I look at your current campaign, uh, as I said, uh, kind of in the intro, you've done $1.3 million, Mm -hmm. uh, 8,836 backers is what I was at when I checked. I can see it's jumped up another... 13 backers, I think, mm-hmm. uh, since I <laughs> pulled the, the numbers like 10 minutes ago. Um, what I found interesting, and again, I'm going to share the screen for people who are watching live so they can see the campaign page, because we're going to kind of get into the nuances of some of these things. And uh, mm-hmm. it, I find it interesting and I hope others do too. Well, let's start off at the very, very top is when I look at the uh, the people that pledged. So you had uh, you know, eight points, say two Thousand backers in in Isle of Cats base game last campaign, which has some ex- expansions that were part of it. Coming into this campaign, when I was running the numbers, it looked like roughly uh, almost 60%. I say about 58, eh, sorry, 62% of your backers are people that came over from the prior campaign. Okay. That I thought was very interesting because. I mean, that's a huge carryover. So, that, that's more mm-hmm. than half of the people that backed your game the first time around and said, you know, I love this game enough. I want more. I want more, you know, pieces to this world. I want to expand my playability. I want to, I just want more of the Isle of Cats. Mm-hmm. I thought that was telling. I also thought I was telling that on the flip side of that is you got 42% of your, um, uh, or sorry, it's like 40% of your uh, backers are, are completely new. So, people that got mm-hmm. the base game, you know, plus the additions and so forth. So, Coming into this, I guess kind of the first question is with those numbers, was the plan in your mind always to try to bring new people into the universe or was the goal to really try to leverage the people that you already had that were obviously loyal followers? Like which were those two were the kind of more important for you?
1: I think it's really interesting because a good starting point for me, I guess, is my Approach to Kickstarter, I feel is very, very different to the vast majority of people's approaches. And mm. I'm someone who truly believes in cultivating a community, working on this kind of concept of organic spreading. And I hate marketing. Like there are so many things that I could do to my Kickstarter page that I know would encourage people to spend more money, would encourage people to buy extra stuff or more people to join. But for me, it's not about encouraging people to buy something they don't want. For me, it's about kind of just a, let's be upfront, let's be really honest, let's explain, let's make sure you're aware and let you make that decision. So to answer your kind of question about, you know, is it, was I looking for existing people or new people? For me, It wasn't really either. It was much more just, I want to find people who are interested in the game. And if Mm. that's people who already enjoy it, great. If that's people who know the game, but they've not had an opportunity to get it, fantastic. If it's people who aren't familiar with the game, great. But I really wanted to kind of appeal to all of them. And one of the things I've done, which, you know, the vast majority of people won't be aware of. And again, I think this is where I probably differ quite a lot from people is my Kickstarter page today is very, very different to the Kickstarter page on day one. And I change and update and modify the page throughout the campaign Mm. based on who's coming. So you can make an assumption in the first 24, 48 hours, the vast majority of people there are people who know about the game, who are aware of the game, who already own the game, are there for expansions. And as the days went on, I removed more and more of the focus on people who own the game and start to replace it more and more with people who may not be so familiar to try and like appeal to people in different ways. So it, it's a completely organic, flowing, changing thing based on who's coming. Um, I mean, I realize that's a big answer to a simple question. No, it's a
0: good answer. Do you map that out ahead of time? Like, are you mapping out, okay, you know, week one, this is what the, you know, what I'm going to focus on week two, this is how it's going to change week three, it's going to change, or is there some organic kind of flow to that?
1: It's, it's definitely something that is pre-thought, but just like, you know, I consider my Kickstarter page to be a board game, right? It's play testing. Mm -hmm. As soon as you've got it live and you see people using it, you see the, questions people have you see problems people have you see posts on facebook on board game geek on reddit and to me it's about responding to each of those if you mm. see one person go to your comment section and say i don't really understand how x works then whatever right that person may have missed it it doesn't matter if you see seven people in a day say this then that's something you need to change that's something you yeah. need to adjust and every minute That you don't do that you're potentially losing people or upsetting people or confusing people so there's certainly a planned out schedule but it's completely fluid based on what i see people doing and that kind of you know the responses that you're getting to various stuff so
0: talk to us about the uh, expansion so in this case we've got um don't forget the kittens Uh, it includes uh i guess three expansion models your Mm -hmm. kittens the beast the events lesson more less modules i think you get like a bonus bow pack can you kind of break down cuz you i mean you've done a very good job of kind of compartmentalizing this mm-hmm. uh on your page but can you break down kind of how yeah this, so the structure? The, yeah.
1: the core of this Kickstarter is two new expansions. One of them is called Kittens and Beasts and one of them is called Boat Pack. And those two expansions are what I see as the new content for the Art of Cats that I hope will get into retail next year and will become, you know, the big retail releases. Mm-hmm. Now the Kittens and Beasts expansion includes, as you said, Kittens includes beasts. It also includes events and other things, but I wanted the name to be Kittens and Beasts because it's just the nicer name for what it was to be the boat pack is a pack of new boats now because this is a kickstarter i didn't want to it's it's important to me to build and design for the future you know for retail and distribution and allowing people to be able to get this stuff moving forward Mm. so the way i deal with that is i try to always have the core content as the price it's going to be and then i layer on stuff that mm. people can get as extras for free so in this instance the kickstarter pack or kickstarter pack 2 as this is the second time i've done yard of cats is a third expansion which adds component upgrades but also new content and everything was planned out before none of this is like stretch goals or anything that's been unlocked it was all there from the start and that kind of combines to be a third expansion that you get for free if you purchase the other two during the Kickstarter. And those, so for me, that's like the core offering. And then of course you can layer on, so you've got the upgraded, the box and the storage stuff, you've got the kind of the pins, the accessories, the base game and the original content if you don't have all of those things, but that would be that kind of core starting point.
0: Got it. And we got uh, Julia Deer in the, um, in the lobby saying that this is probably the most thorough, most well-organized Kickstarter that uh, i ever seen. Cool. Thank uh, you. The way it was organized is brilliant. Yeah. I like this kind of idea. I'm sharing the screen again uh, where you've kind of got like these yes, no answers, right? It's like mm-hmm. this decision tree to kind of help guide you towards what it is you need to back, mm-hmm. like which back uh, level you're going to pick. Cause the problem, some of the limitations with Kickstarter is obviously you kind of have one static page that everything gets dumped into on the right. You've got your different kind of pledge levels and it's not, it's not super user-friendly, right? So what I think you've done here is you've done a great job and quite frankly, uh, beautifully uh, uh, illustrated in in the graphic design. I think is awesome too, on how you kind of break that into this decision tree going down. Was that something that was kind of in your mind, almost helping you yourself kind of figure out how to map this out thought, it's,
1: well. it's a funny thing like this is one of those things right where i was saying about people who want to try and force sales and get people to buy extras wouldn't yep. do something like this because this is aimed at informing the visitor so they can make an absolute decision and that's that's like my heart right that's my cause i want you to make that decision so for me this in an ideal world, wouldn't be needed. But because of the way Kickstarter limits how you provide information, yeah. it becomes needed. You know, in real reality, you would want it to be a multi-page website, you know, where you can click and go and see different stuff. We don't have that. So this campaign is incredibly complicated if you don't know what everything is. Because oh, yeah. there's, you know, like 12, 13 different items available on there. And each of those items are completely different things you know there's different games there's like upgrades accessories there's promos there's storage solutions there's the game there's expansions there's player expansions as well as normal kind of expansions and all of this kind of means that you need to understand it and as I say normally you know we've got eight reward tiers on there normally you wouldn't have that many but it's kind of a need because I don't want to trick people into saying you're buying everything or nothing, right? I only want yeah. you to buy what you want to buy because what on earth is the point in me filling your house with a load of stuff that's just going to upset you, annoy you, and you feel like you're being ripped off? Like it's so putting those decisions in there. But when you go to a Kickstarter that has eight rewards as opposed yeah. to two rewards or one or three, which is kind of my optimal, you kind of get stuck, right? Because you're like, well, there's so many choices. There's so many decisions. Like I don't know. How do I discover this? And Kickstarter gives you what? Just a list. The way you scroll through it, and you can't really see two at once, and it's madness. Yeah, it's so brutal. <laughs> the flowchart was as much to solve that problem as it was to do anything else.
0: So why not uh, do like three levels, for instance, like um, base game, base game plus a new, uh, you know, the the kittens and the beasts, and then kind of the holy crap package, which is everything in the kitchen sink, and then have mm-hmm. everything else as add-ons that they can kind of choose their own adventure type of a thing.
1: So. I kind of, I went down this concept of separating the rewards into two types. So you've got what I refer to as the veteran rewards and the new arrival rewards. And I felt like this was a really good way to cut 50% of those options off straight away. You know, if you come to the page and you own the game, then you don't care about stuff that has the game. And if you don't own the game, then you probably don't care about stuff that doesn't have the game. So for me, that one decision kind of cuts it down from eight to four and it does obviously you need to understand that that's what those two things are which again is why the flowchart and so much of the page is pushing you at that but again what it does is it gives you choice and it gives you those options and also um the problem with add-ons is it's really hard for me to provide people with savings and discounts. And Kickstarter Mm. is about savings and discounts. And there are some items that I can discount, there's some that I can't, and there's some that if I combine them. So for example, you know, we've got a big empty box, right? Like big box, the big big two minute box. box. (laughs) Now it's very easy to say, well, if people are gonna buy this combination of items, they all fit inside that box. And therefore when we ship it, we're not increasing the physical size of that shipping. And therefore we can offer that at a discounted price. Whilst if people just say, I'm gonna add this and I'm gonna add that, you can't do those savings in the same way. So I, I allow people to make their own and I'm very keen on people making their own, but that, kind of counteracts the concept of being able to give them that saving, which is why I think that having strong like variable reward tiers is the optimal option for, again, providing that best result to kind of the person coming to the page.
0: For the big box, so let's talk about this two minute box. I have it on screen. I've had it on screen for a couple minutes here just for people to look at. It's pretty impressive. Uh, There's an amazing video you have on your page where you literally show the people, here's how I can cram all this stuff. You got a table just loaded with kit and stuff you know two minutes bang 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 everything's yeah. in the box and it it's done it's organized in a way that you can easily pull it out use only what you need and so forth so mm-hmm. it's designed for how you would unpack a game when you play it, which i think is awesome mm-hmm. when you ship that are you shipping that uh with the stuff in it or are you shipping it empty and then they take their other boxes and they kind of yes yeah, so it's completely
1: empty we're not um having like the games or expansions inside any of this stuff so it will be um separate boxes for as such
0: so for shipping because uh, mm-hmm. you know being a, a publisher myself i know how costly shipping can be especially mm-hmm. when we start cubing out and cubing out means basically the, the volume for people listening the volume mm-hmm. size not just weight but actually the entire volume that you're shipping yeah that can actually override the per weight cost if it's you know large size boxes How are you handling that for this campaign? Where if you have somebody that's looking for kind of everything, um, this can get to be a pretty large shipping box per person, right, when it
1: arrives. So this is, again, by going back to those reward tiers, what it does is allows me to have a preset group of items and Mm. that preset group of items will be packed within their own boxes, but those boxes will be packed within the big box if that makes sense. So whilst the individual components won't be kind of organized into it, like it will still put, we'll still make sure that that box Mm -hmm. is filled so the overall volume isn't increasing. Got it, okay. But it is definitely an expensive project for shipping. And this is, you know, one of the things I think that a lot of people probably don't realize is if you go for the all-in tier, you know, the get the game, get all the expansions, get all of the pins and accessories and all of that, then it's well over 10 kilograms in weight. So you're talking what it's around 25 pounds in kind of, you know, US kind of weights and stuff like yeah. it's incredibly big and incredibly heavy. And obviously once you've punched it and everything, it gets lighter, but it's certainly a very expensive thing to ship. And with today's shipping climate, it's um, it took a lot of kind of getting that right and being sure that it's not going to be a problem in the long run.
0: In the, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, one of the things that I think that surprised me was even some of the, the, the price levels, right? So I think if I put into Canadian dollars, you're up around $308 Canadian Mm -hmm. for the top tier, 179 uh, British pounds. And people looking at that might say, wow, that, you know, that seems like a lot, but then we Mm -hmm. look at obviously all the stuff, you're getting a lot of value for that, obviously, but as a kind of a sticker price, uh, for a game, I mean, you're on, on the higher end of that tier, Mm -hmm. um, and it almost seems that, uh, unapologetically so, uh, for you, was it um, about kind of getting the right components and the right audience, quite frankly, for that? Because, you know, you're not, this isn't like a discount item. It's not yeah. something you're just trying to stack them high, watch them fly. You're trying to get to a certain core people. Can you talk mm-hmm. to the pricing a little bit?
1: So the pricing is, to be honest, is really straightforward. And it works on the basis of, you know, you've got the core price of the game, which is the core price of the game the expansions are all priced to be what would be as as individual items yeah it's not a big price the big price point is if you come in and take everything so you said it's like 300 canadian dollars right So 300 Canadian dollars is obviously a lot of money. But if you kind of look at it from the other's perspective and say, within that, you're getting two games, you're getting five expansions, and then you're getting a number of accessories and merchandise items and other things on top of that, it suddenly becomes a very standard price. And this is, yeah. you know, this is what I kind of went back on was if you went to a deep discount website online and you bought all of the things once they've been released, what's that total price going to be compared to if you buy it through the Kickstarter? And oh, it's probably
0: going to be the same. Yeah.
1: And, and that's pretty much where I balanced it out. And I, and it is funny because I sat down and thought, how do I feel about that total price point? Right. And I kind of thought if it was just one game, with one expansion or something like that, I would probably feel pretty bad about it, to say the least. And one of the first things that I actually did was... Um, I went and looked at Scythe believe it or not you mentioned James Stegmar earlier mm. and I went and looked at all of the stuff available for Scythe so all of the expansions all of the accessories all of the extra bits and obviously very different game to the art of cats but when I totaled all of that up at kind of the full MSRP it came to about $650 and at that point I kind of thought to myself well I'm a like less than half of that. Right. And so is that amount for one game and expansions an obscene amount? Yeah, no, it's not. It's not at the upper end. So then it came down to, is it worth the value, which I truly believe it is. And this is one of the big things for me was each of these expansions was designed to be worth what that expansion is. Like none of this is quick, like, hey, we're just going to try and make a few bucks. You know, this is why I've waited two years since the last Kickstarter, because I wanted to watch, I wanted to study, I wanted to understand what people enjoyed, what people didn't like, where problems may be, all of these things. And then to use these expansions to enhance that. And then before this Kickstarter came out, I wrote a bunch of designer diaries to kind of talk through each of those decisions to explain the purpose purpose of them so yeah. for me the individual prices for those components become justified and at that point it just comes down to well should someone spend that much on one game and this is why there's five expansions which are 25 dollars each rather yeah. than two expansions which are 60 dollars each because this allows you to buy them piece by piece and you can design and build that game yeah. how you want it and it makes it more you know, entry friendly and allows you to upgrade as you want to.
0: Fair enough. And I think if people are, are bought into the, the, um, the world, they're going to want all those pieces anyways. And it's no different than other games where people are look at Catan, right? How many people mm-hmm. have got like, you know, four expansions of Catan on their shelf and you know, it's not cheap either. Right. So if you find something you love, yes, you're more than exactly. happy to get those expansions and so forth. Talk to us about this app. I found that very interesting as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got this app that you've, uh, you're giving away for, I guess, 12 months for free Mm -hmm. uh, on, what is this and and how did this all kind of come together?
1: So Sovereignty is, they're kind of like Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia or all of these other kind of, you know, board game arena platforms, Mm -hmm. but the slight difference between them and these other platforms is they're trying to make a more, it's, it's more like a video game. Like it's still a simulator of your board game, right? You're still a character around a table, yeah. but you have characters, you have avatars. It feels much more like a Nintendo game where mm. you're in this kind of 3D world and everything is automated. You know, you're not trying to pick up a card and move it across the screen. Every point where you need something to do something, it does it for you. Scoring is done for you. You know, In The Art of Cats, where you're placing tiles onto a grid, you've got buttons that allow you to move it one square to the right, allow you to rotate it, allow you to flip it. So it feels much more like a digital kind of designed experience and it works perfectly on mobile phones it works on tablets it works on pcs next year we're hoping that it'll be coming out on two different games consoles as well so you would be able to play it on a nintendo switch while someone else plays it on the phone and for me whilst it's a very new platform and therefore more risky than being on these more kind of known platforms i feel like they are working towards the optimal experience for what a digital board game should be. It's not too far into the video game world, but it doesn't feel like it's hard work. It doesn't feel like a simulation. And to me, they've got that sweet spot and I feel like it's a really good opportunity. And for them, obviously having the Isle of Cats was a big kind of plus as well. So it's been really good working with them. And I'm really kind of excited to be able to give people the chance to play it and kind of get to see that platform and see the other stuff they're working on too.
0: That's cool. And then one thing I, I'll be remiss if I don't mention this as well, is that you have another completely different game
1: Yep. <laughs> in,
0: this, in this Kickstarter campaign. You're, um, you, you're right and play. Can you, can you just yeah. give us a brief overview of what that's all about and how that's different? Yeah. And- so-
1: the Ardicats Explore exploring draw is really funny because it, it's one of those things that it doesn't bother me, but it does bother me because you see loads of people these days saying every single game now has a roll and write, right? Yeah. You see all of these people saying every single.
0: I think we lost your uh, mic. Did they lost <laughs>
1: game. You know, you, you run a Kickstarter, you add a roll and write because of this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And for me, it really hurts because. The story behind this, and I'll try and speed it up a bit, is when The Art of Cats released was was literally the week that America, the UK, the world went into lockdown for COVID. And it was a disaster for me, right? Because I'd spent a year planning for this big retail release, going to conventions, and it all fell through. And what I did was literally, as soon as that happened, rather than sitting down and saying, well, I'm screwed, like, what am I gonna do? I'll have to wait till the end. I designed a completely new set of rules, which I released for free, that allowed people to play the Art of Cats game that they owned over the internet with other people. It allowed them to play over Zoom, it allowed them to play over Facebook. So it turned the physical game that had just released into a remote game and that game then i started doing streams where people could play with me and i would do it on stream and i'd have hundreds of people coming and playing and over those first few months you know lots of other people started doing this but i got it out so quickly that it became really really popular and we had thousands of people who would come and play this and would download it and use it to play during covid so explore and draw is a printable version of that rule set it's literally me taking those rules that we made then and then turning it into something people can actually buy to have it as a nicer, more formatted process. So it was kind of the answer to COVID and now it's become its own product just because there was enough people wanting that to come from it. That's awesome. I
0: do have one question in the uh, lobby here as well. They're wondering mm-hmm. when the digital game uh, access begin when, when does the access uh, to the digital game happen?
1: So, the access will be hopefully mid July. So, at the moment, the family version of the Articats is done. Mm. The standard version is kind of like in late alpha, early beta testing. So, I'm basically waiting for that to be completely signed off because I don't want lots of people to go there and realize that they can't quite play it yet. So, as soon as the beta phases over so I'm hoping like mid to late July and you know when the pledge manager goes out basically and people have given me their details
0: awesome where do you go from here what's next I mean is it more cats <laughs> or do you have another game on it like you, you're one guy right and yeah. like it is insane what you've cranked out here uh, alone <laughs> it's an immense amount of work so congrats on that um, oh, my hat you. off to you that's for sure what's, what's next for you are you just gonna take some time off and breathe or you got something <laughs> well, else well I mean
1: or? This is the thing, right? I I do everything myself. There is yeah. no one who helps me with any of this stuff. Obviously, I have an artist who did some of the artwork and and that's about it. So the next steps now is obviously managing the manufacturing and production of this. And whilst that's happening, working on future games. I've got a... <laughs> don't, don't hate me for saying this, but I've got another small game which is a another it's an either catch related game but it's a completely different game and I nearly had that on this Kickstarter as well <laughs> and I kind of felt like it's one step too far. So too much. Too I, much I need to work out what I plan to do with that because it's too small to do its own kickstarter for so that might be me looking at my first game that goes straight to retail which is something i would really like to explore and try and see what happens with that and then next year hopefully another bigger game um but it's it really is a dependency because i try to only do like i try to only do like one game every like 12 to 18 months because what my time allows me to kind of achieve and keep that good quality
0: it's an insane amount of work uh but it's a testament to what you do and how much you care about quality and and your passion for the uh for the art and uh i just want to uh, congratulate you again on this campaign i can't wait to see where it lands i'm thinking you're going to be inching towards 2 million, but we'll see. And uh, still a week to go. I've got we no know, idea. <laughs> we know the hockey stick in the last two days, so I'll, I'll be watching yeah. it. But Frank, I want to wish you all the best in this game, the fulfillment changed, and everything that's to come in the coming years. You take care.
1: I appreciate Cheers. it. Thanks a
0: lot. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.